And I think it's going to, it's going to be great for Monmouth County. You know, it'll certainly be a destination spot and, you know, whether you want to, you want to have a bourbon or you want to have a, you know, a cocktail or you want to have a beer and you want to have some, some great food, you'll be able to do it all within one big campus area. That's Phil of Source Brewing. Welcome to Over Beers, a craft beer conversation podcast. I'm Freddie Clark. One of the things I found really interesting about doing this podcast is the process that people are going through to open their breweries. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on two breweries that are still within that process and not yet open, but working toward it. I had the opportunity to talk with Phil and Greg of Source Brewing. They are planning an opening of their new brewery in fall of this year. Talking to people at this stage has given me a great insight into the process, and I hope you enjoy it too. Before we get to the conversation, one of the topics we touched upon is carbonation in beer, and that seemed like a good place to start today's show. All beers contain some level of carbonation. It can vary greatly, but it's always there in some degree. It influences things like mouthfeel, aroma, flavor, and appearance. When beer loses its carbonation, it's called flat, which is the perfect way to describe it. It can become quite dull. During the brewing process, fermentation of wort creates two main products, ethanol, which is the alcohol we all know, and carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide is soluble in the beer. According to Henry's law, at a constant temperature, the amount of a given gas dissolved in a given type and volume of liquid is directly proportional to the partial pressure of that gas in equilibrium to that liquid. So, in simpler terms, in a closed vessel, like a bottle, cask, or brewing tank, the amount of carbon dioxide dissolved in the beer is going to vary according to the temperature of the beer and the pressure of the carbon dioxide in the headspace. Carbonation is then measured in two ways. One of these methods compares the volume of dissolved gas with the volume of liquid, while the other measures the weight of gas in solution compared to the volume of the liquid. To increase carbonation, beer can be transferred to a closed vessel with some additional fermentable sugars. A carbonation stone can be used to the same effect. In bottle conditioning, an addition of priming sugars is added to the bottles before they're closed. Carbon dioxide is created within the bottle and then carbonates the beer. Like almost every aspect of the brewing process, carbonation is one of the many details that greatly influences the final product, which gets us back to Phil and Greg of Source Brewing. You're going to see that they are spending a great deal of time paying attention to every detail of not just the brewing of the beer, but the creation of the space that will become Source Brewing. We sat down in Phil's kitchen to have a conversation about those details. Over beers. Um, to us, there's not enough breweries in New Jersey. We're 42nd per capita in the U.S. Uh, so there's a great thirst for, for great beer. Um, and you know, if you look at our location, um, you take like a 10 mile radius, there really are no breweries. There's nothing in Howell or Bridge, Manalapan, Cold Snack, Old Jackson Marlboro. Jackson Marlboro. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no breweries. It's really like this, most of the breweries have really concentrated along the shore and North and South Jersey. Mm -hmm. So c Central Jersey, I mean, we got Screaming Hill, you know, they're great guys, you know, we, we talked to them a lot and we looked forward to collaborating with them, but um, it was an area that wasn't really well served and it hit all of our, our very important key matrices that we wanted in our brewery. Okay. Know, the agriculture, finding something that was extremely authentic, you know, and that's where our location is. Um, you know, 
if you go into Cold Snack Township, right, you go into their city hall, they have a photo that's been in there now for over 100 years. It says, welcome to Cold Snack, and it has a picture of Town Hall. And in that picture, it has a picture of our, our farmhouse. Okay, so you're opening in of, a farmhouse. Yeah. All right. Okay. So it's, it's a, a used, or it used to be a dairy farm, and it's a 125-year-old you know, plus building. Um, and the township of Colts Neck is super thrilled that we are coming in and, you know, keeping the existing building and just going even further with the rich history, the agriculture that they have in the area um, and working in collaboration with the different farmers uh, and other businesses is definitely something that's going to be one of our focuses. With it being the source, I'm guessing that, like I told you, there wasn't a lot of information on your website. So I'm guessing you're really looking to do everything really close to what we'll call it when a brewery opens home, right? So everything is going to be right there. Our philosophy is it's always best to drink beer from the source. Okay. Um, and that's really where the name really you know, was curated from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for us, the source is, um, you know, we're, we don't have aspirations or any desire to be a regional or national player. We want to be real important to our community. Um, and you know, I think that's a, a little bit different than most brewers have aspirations to, you know, you know, become the next dogfish or next stone. And, you know, those guys are phenomenal. We love them. They've been a lot of inspiration for us. Um, but for us is we want to produce the best beers in the world um, on a real small scale, scale system. You know, we're a 10 barrel system. You know, we, we will tap out capacity wise about 3,500 barrels a year. Um, and we would love nothing more for people to come and enjoy them at the source. Mm-hmm. You know, so we can really control every single aspect, visual, sensory, um, of the drinking experience. Uh, when, you, um, when you start shipping product and canning and putting product on store shelves, you lose a lot. Um, and for me, this is something that is, is really dear to, to my passion. And you know, where I met Greg was at a previous tech company that I had founded. And for me, um, you know, I got into craft beer ahead of the curve. Um, and I was always tell my friends and family how amazing these craft beers were. And they would say, well, give me a recommendation on the beer. And I would give them a recommendation. They would go to the store and buy it. And they would, you know, drink it out of the can or a bottle, and they would say, "Meh, it, it's okay." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And what I, you know, what I discovered is, in order to really truly appreciate the beer, you know, the way you pour the beer is critically important. Um, you know, because visually, you know, having the proper foam head on there, but even the aroma, you know, uh, most aroma seventy percent of flavor perception. Mm-hmm. If you ever had a sinus cold, you would notice that everything tastes bland. It's not because your taste buds stop working, it's because of it. Um, so our previous company, you know, we were looking to focus in on how do we get a consistent pour out of a can or a bottle and en- enhance the beverage to make it taste like it did at the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I met Greg. Um, and I think we can control it best within our, our tap room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, building off a little bit about what Phil said is, you know, you get into a whole bunch of different issues when you're talking about shelf life and, you know, tap handle space. Um, but there's something to be said about going and getting the beer on draft in the, you know, house that was designed for people to come and enjoy that beer. 
we're going to be having serving tanks behind our bar. The beer is going to travel literally 10 feet mm-hmm. to get to your glass. It's going to be poured by somebody who is very knowledgeable about beer into a glass that was designed for that beer style that has properly been cleaned at a serving temperature that is optimal for the style with a CO2 level specific to that beer style mm-hmm. as well. So we really want to not cut any corners on how the beer is presented and overall perceived in all the, the senses. So more control we have over that. Um, we're, we're very happy to sell all of our beer from the source as opposed to, you know, getting into that space. All right. No, that makes sense. I, the first, I remember the first IPA I ever had was at, it was in Boston, at the Harpoon Brewery. And they'd done the tour. A couple of us were just up there hanging around for the weekend, like a guy's weekend. And we did the tour. And after the tour, they set you up at their tap room. And it's they, literally you have, I think it's 15 minutes, and they'll give you as much as you want for those 15 minutes. And I was shocked at, because it was early. I mean, the Harpoon's been around a while, at how fresh and how different any beer tasted. Whether it was the IPA, which was a new experience for me at the time, but any of their beers they were pouring, have them be fresh was just, wow, this is, it's a whole nother thing. Yeah, I don't know that any brewer in the world that would argue that their beer tastes best Mm -hmm. directly from their taps. Right. Right. Okay, so let's, we'll come back to the brewery and that's a work in progress right now, but what got you into beer? Like what, what made you, what led to today? All right. I can start with that one. Okay. Um, so I was lucky enough to be exposed to some really excellent world-class beers at a younger age than most. Um, I did some, I did a long summer through Europe, um, going into my senior year of high school, which really opened my eyes. I was in Brussels and, uh, England and Germany. So I got to try some of those beers where back home, there's like the, Keystone Light and Natty Light is what you're lucky to get if you're in high school. And then, you know, in, in college, I jumped at the opportunity to study abroad again in Europe. And did um, now I had more of a keen eye towards let me try as much as I can um, here in this area with, you know, a lot of brewing history. And I started to delve into that and try to taste whatever's new, whatever I hadn't had. Um, really just opened up a whole door into, you know, flavor possibilities and you know, variety, it's a spice of life. And I guess I just kind of, um, I went down that rabbit hole pretty deep. And uh, I came back to the US, freshly 21, uh, having, you know, and I happened to come back to the craft beer renaissance in my own, in America. So it was, it was the perfect time. I don't think there's been a better time or place for beer in the history of the world, um, like in America today. So. Mm-hmm. It was really the perfect timing for me. Um, so I'd, after graduating, I had started, you know, working a job in business management and restaurant management. It was more of a family company track, and I quickly realized it's not what I wanted to do forever. And um, you know, the day I got back from Europe, studying abroad, I had bought a homebrew kit, brought a stack of books, started reading about brewing, traveling to all these breweries in the U.S. that I had now discovered. You know, this is actually. You know, arguably, even now, all these European countries are looking to the American beer styles as influence. Um, you know, I see hazy IPAs in the UK now, so it's there. America is the place. Um, what did you study in college? I studied business management. Studied business yeah, management. Okay. So, um, 
within a year, I had already decided that I was going to do something else, and I was spending all my free time reading about beer, going to breweries, home brewing. So um, I took an online course at Siebel Institute and in concise uh, concise course in brewing technology. Ended up getting a full scholarship for that. While I, I left my uh, job as a general manager to to go to a brew pub just to be closer to beer, and then I ended up actually going to Siebel in Chicago and. Uh, Munich, Germany, to do the full Master Brewers program shortly after. So I was kind of just working in the brew pub until uh, going to school, mm-hmm. just to really prepare myself for the intensive course and um, learned a lot there. Met a lot of great people and had a job waiting for me when I got back in Pennsylvania at Weyerbacher Brewing Company and mm-hmm. st- uh, brewed and, and learned under a lot of really intelligent brewers. How and long was that course you took? Just to back you up a little bit. That course, uh, it's about five to six months okay. from start to finish. Uh, roughly half of it is in Germany. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, so it was you, really so fun. you were back overseas. Back then, overseas. So it's right. only been you never go more than a few years than <laughs> That's uh, good. getting back. So it's. No, it's a great world of beer, and I'm just happy to you now. Now it's kind of come full circle to America. Hit a little bump there with prohibition, but um, I think we're we're in the spotlight of the world right now, so mm-hmm. couldn't be happier. Yeah. When you were with uh, Wireback, you said. Mm-hmm. What were you doing there? Uh, I was one of three, four shift brewers. So okay. there was like a brewmaster, head brewer. And then I, there's a lead brewer and a couple ship brewers and, you know, do okay. all the cellaring activities as well. Okay. So you were knee deep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I learned a lot there, for okay. sure. And how long were you there? I was there for just over a year before, uh, this is actually a good point to transition over to how Phil and I met. Um, I actually met Phil at Weyerbacher. And um, that's kind of where the company, he started Physics cross paths so I'll let you take it from there because um, <laughs> so we I tell you we had developed this uh, technology platform that can take a can or a bottle of beer and make it taste like draft mm-hmm. um, and when we started the company you know a lot of people thought it was a gimmick right when we started to dive into the science about how you know beer derives its aroma and you know, the texture and the mouthfeel um, a lot of people would ask you know what do the brewers think about this so what I thought it would be great is to really create a video series celebrating the brewers. Um, so we would go out to breweries, um, and Weyerbacher was one of them, um, and we would interview the brewer. And we'd say, well, you know, tell us how you got into brewing, tell us about the brewery, tell us about your style of craft, tell us about any up-and-coming up collaborations or beers that you have coming up. Um, and oh, by the way, what do, you, what do you think about your beer through this technology? And um, we did these video series, you know, all around the world. And I went to Weyerbacher and Greg just happened to be the brewer <laughs> that I was interviewing uh, for this video series. Um, and I think it was about a week or two weeks after Greg had called me up and said, now I thought I was going to be brewing my whole life, but, you know, you guys are doing something pretty interesting. And, you know, I'd like to join and, and interface and lead up your business development efforts, you know, spearheading, you know, the interaction with all the other craft breweries. So we said, great. So uh, Greg had, had joined us um, and we immediately started brewing in the office. <laughs> okay. So we thought it would be a I think Phil subconsciously <laughs> just wanted a brewer in the office. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, you know, we started brewing in the office initially as a team building exercise. Okay. Um, and then from like once a week, it became a couple times a week. And before you know it, we were brewing all the time. Um, and then we started to get into discussions about um, what we would ideally like to see in our local brewery. Because mm-hmm. right? we visit a lot of brewers, there's amazing brewers in the state, 
um, but all but a couple offer the same type of experience. Um, and their, their focus is, you know, I'm really scaling the business and things of that nature and, you know, God bless them. That's a, you know, uh, you know, a real difficult path and a lot of them are doing some amazing things. Um, and then about a, you know, about a year into it, Greg and I started to develop a, a business model and what we thought the ideal brewery would be for what we would want to see. Um, and we started looking at locations and I think very quickly. Things started coming together pretty point, fast. We got pointed to this location um, in Colts Neck and we fell in love with the building immediately. I mean, most people would look at it and say, you got to tear this thing down, but we, you know, we saw it and um, immediately said, this is, this is our brewery, mm-hmm. this is our vision. Um, so we, we both left that company. We've been pursuing this full time since October. Okay. Um, and the process for us right now has been, you know, knock on wood here, has been amazing. Um, the support that we've gotten locally from the people in the town, um, you know, everybody within the town, they've been extremely supportive. I mean, you decide, all right, you guys want to do this, you leave your jobs, and what's the first step? So the first step for us was finding the right location. Okay. Right, so location for us was everything. Um, and so when we found the location, um, you know, the first thing we have to do is say, all right, we'll put plug and start business model. Now we're, we're buying a few acres. We're, you know, we're buying a place and probably the most expensive real estate in the state. <laughs> uh, now, luckily, I was able to exit my previous company. And, um, you know, we have, um, you know, some, some investors that, um, you know, are, own a brewery in Brooklyn that's doing amazingly well, um, that love our idea, our farmhouse concept. Um, so they've come in and they've really added a lot of expertise. Um, but so how the process starts is first you have to go before the town um, and they have to grant what they call a use variance. So uh, a brewery is not zoned for that particular area. Um, and that process can be very intimidating because you're going in front of you know, seven or eight you know, volunteers that are on a board that live in the town um, and their focus is in what's the, in the best interest of the town. Um, but when we went to them, we said, you know, here's a location. We want to renovate this historic landmark within your town. Um, and we really selected town because of the agricultural history. And we're going to work with your local farmers. And, you know, it's a complete, when we look at the ecosystem, um, it goes 100, you know, and 80 degrees, you know, from our spent grains getting donated to local farmers to sourcing ingredients locally. Um, and, you know, to our surprise, we got unanimous approval. And um, we were a little bit nervous during the use variance because the, the town hall was packed with residents. And you know, they <laughs> opened it up for comments from the town. <laughs> um, but we were, you know, we were just completely humbled that these people that we don't even know were there speaking on our behalf and That's what great. this would mean for the yeah. town. Um, and, you know, and I think this is really due to all the pioneers, right? The people who have gone out there and have been great ambassadors for what a craft brewery could be to the local business, mm-hmm. local towns and the environment. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we're just real fortunate now to, to come in and just be part of that community. Five years ago, brewery, I don't know if I want a brewery, you know, mm-hmm. in, my back, in my backyard type of thing. But, I mean, the town will remain nameless, but I got a call one day because of the podcast from someone who works in a town in New Jersey. They said, you might know, we need a brewery. We want a brewery on Main Street, you know. I've heard that's like a and common thing. Yeah. And, it's, and, and it's great the, the enthusiasm that they have for it. 
hats off to uh, those local leaders because yeah. they're informed. I mean, it's it's a no brainer. It's tourism. Mm-hmm. It's anybody who's company. You know, you're bringing people into a destination spot mm-hmm. to get something that they already love. Right. They're spending money the entire way. It's great for the economy, jobs, the economic development impact is like yep. unarguable. Just look, all fifty states, they're all doing the same. You know, they can all show you the same numbers. It's just super beneficial for the town. Yep. And it becomes a a symbiotic relationship where, you know, you can't maybe serve food in your brewery, but a restaurant or in your guys scenario, I mean, you have something really unique right next door. Um, You can, can you say it? Oh yeah. So, yeah, we can say, so, um, you know, we're very fortunate to have a neighbor of delicious orchards. And um, if the folks that don't know delicious orchards, they're, they're, a destination landmark. Yeah, not Monmouth County the, landmark. Not, yep. not only, my, we used to live in Old Bridge in Edison. We used to drive down in October to Lewis's Orchards get our pies for Thanksgiving. It's I, an I amazing grew up place. on Staten Island in the 70s and 80s, and I remember coming to Delicious wow. Orchards. <laughs> right on. Bring <laughs> the Staten Island people down. We love it. It's amazing. So, um, you know, we, we met with the folks at Delicious Orchards. They're extremely excited, um, and we formed a partnership with them where they're going to dedicate acreage and their worker Greg's already working with them on what fruits and vegetables, and we're going to do some red sweet potatoes and things that we're going to incorporate into our beer. Um, Delicious Orchard has an amazing selection. They go from paninis to artisan cheeses, secured meats, um, where people can go to Delicious Orchards. They can eat there. They can pick up food. But Delicious Orchards is going to cut a path through the farm up through us, you know, they're going to put a speed bump in, have a little brewery crossing in. Um, we're going to do some pretty exciting things with them, with their, their apple cider, you know, during, oh, yeah. during that season as well. Um, but even in addition to uh, Delicious Orchards, we have a fur farm, you know, we have a couple other hop farms. We just formed a partnership be. with a, um, a farmer in Colts Neck, and these are all within Colts Neck, um, who's going to take our spent grains. You know, feed it to their livestock. You know, it's custom farming. So we were talking about different varieties of wheat, buckwheat, barley. Um, you know, getting in sync with his planting and harvesting schedule. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Delicious Orchards. You know, they'll, they said, send me a mess, your wish list of anything that we could grow, and we'll sync you up with our head farmer. Maybe even put little signs out there. And, you know, we'll, we'll sync up with the seasons because we mm-hmm. want to brew seasonally. Are you going to um, do a hard cider? So they do... Do cider over there. They press they, the, they they press the, the they make their own cider. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So perhaps uh, some sort of fun uh, beer hybrid okay. seasonal down the line. But um, there's the ideas are infinite. It's not going to be a question of, you know, what do we brew? It's going to be a question of so many ideas. How do we narrow it down? It's just the opportunities are endless. Well, so, so speak, for, us, okay. for us, it's real important um, you know, in, in wine, you know, there, there's a terroir, right? You know, the essence of where the grapes is grown in the soil and, you know, and, and you taste that through the beverage. Um, and I think in our beers, that's something that we're very focused in on is people coming there and they're drinking location, but they're able to taste the essence of the location. Mm-hmm. Um, we put a lot, I mean, obsessed over our water, you know, because 90% of the beer is water, right? Um, and in order to produce really great beer, you have to focus it on your water. Mm. Um, so we're digging an 800-foot well, tapping into one of the purest aquifers that runs through Monmouth County. And, you know, if we talk about the RO system and the filtration that we have, it's very specialized. Um, but even 
from the standpoint of our wastewater. You know, we're collecting all of our, our wastewater from the brewery in the underground tank. And then we're working with local farmers to actually spread that across their farm fields as fertilizer. So we're really thinking about the complete sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we all, we all say like we want to, you know, be environmentally conscious, right? Um, but it takes a lot of thought and it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of money mm-hmm. to do that. It's not cheap. Um, mm-hmm. But yep. when you have partners and you can create that complete circle, sustainability within the community, I think that's something that we're, we're pursuing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like a, an accomplishment for us. Nice. So we were talking about the interesting things you want to do. So let's talk about one of the beers that we're drinking cool. right now. Right on. So um, this IPA, you very balanced, but there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going on. So I'm gonna t- walk tell me the listeners about it. through here. So yeah. uh, name pending to Tropical Milkshake IPA is a placeholder now uh the base of it is a new england style hazy ipa so there's a large percentage of oats and wheat in there gives it a nice creamy mouthfeel um cloudy appearance and in addition to give another element of cream we uh, have some lactose sugar in there as well as um, madagascar vanilla beans uh, we then hopped this beer pretty aggressively, late hop, so it's not very bitter up front like a, like a West Coast IPA would be. We did two rounds of dry hopping, and we added juice from papaya, guava, and mango. And our hop selection get, delivers some of those same aromatics, so they're kind of really in unison there with the whole aroma and flavor profile. So mm-hmm. it's mosaic, uh, citra, and New Zealand matuka. So it's double dry hop doses of those and then we have the vanilla beans and the, and the fruit so it's really just a not abrasive abrasively bitter IPA up front super smooth creamy mouthfeel and then burst of that tropical hop and fruit aroma and flavor with some vanilla in there yeah and the vanilla it seems like it brings it all together at, I at agree because you get kinda... it it comes in in the aroma so yeah. you're like what am I getting into here yep. and then it's like whoa yeah. And it was interesting with with what you were saying about mouthfeel because then, um, Philip, you were talking about the tap you were using. Yeah, so we're using um, all European rotary taps. Okay. The uh, flow controls. So they're flow control. Um, but, you know, we, we're actually going in and modifying them where we can actually control the, the density mm-hmm. right down to a micron, you know, in, in foam size. So what we're doing is, you know, I have a lot of, um, you know, background in studying the, the trigeminal nerve, the cranial nerve number five. And the cranial nerve number five is what's responsible for texture. So if you drink something and this is, you know, slimy or this is grainy, that all has to do with the density of the foam. Um, and Greg and I labor over <laughs> what mouthfeel each individual style beer should have. Um, so we're really focusing not only on the, the, the visual and the aroma, but also the, the texture is very important to us. And you know, those taps enable us to do this. So we can deliver an ideal, absolute perfect pour Mm -hmm. in every one of our our beers. So we're trying to curate the best possible experience that you could have with our our beer when you're in our tap rooms. I'm getting that you guys like detail. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we we want to, um, you know, make sure that everyone's experience with our beer and our brand is the way that we want it to be. So, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to rely on people rotating things at a liquor store or having a, you know, bartender who's not going to dunk the glass or make sure they clean their lines on a regular basis. You know, we 
got all that stuff under control. And we also we want to make it a really cool place that people want to drive and come hang out to. Uh, I don't know if we, you know, give you some visuals for the listeners. Is this is a a two story barn. We have a big brew house cellar area that is going to have one glass wall. So if when you're in anywhere, whether it's our front uh, courtyard terrace area that kind of is an overflow from our main tap room, which have a large door opening up, so a lot of natural light. Um, Giant vaulted ceilings with the original wood uh, exposed. Um, there's going to be an upstairs mezzanine area with a walkout patio that overlooks the the golf course. It's this you know where the sun sets, and it also overlooks our huge backyard beer garden that we're going to put out there. Nice German American style uh, beer garden. Again, there's always big windows showing you right into the to the brewery and the cellar. Pretty much from anywhere you are in the brewery, you're going to be able to see where, you know, the beer that you're drinking was made. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're also on, you know, just under two acres. So there's plenty of space that we're not using that's just going to be great. For, you know, people can come. We'll have outdoor activities and, um, you know, just a, a great general place to hang out. It feels secluded up there. Um, and you really feel like you're on the farm drinking it from the source. And that's like the detail that we wanted to really convey. Yeah, like even when we talk about um, like little things at heating, right? So are we gonna heat the place? We're gonna be pet friendly. So we're putting radiant floors in. So even in the winters, dogs can lay down on the floor, floor. and be nice and warm. Um, you know, we have these two historic silos. I mentioned the silos, yeah, I just realized. Um, so these two historic silos, they're 45 feet high. Uh, and we're converting them into bathrooms. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're looking at all these little You're not going to make the ladies walk 45, uh, 45 feet. <laughs> no, you go on ground level. <laughs> okay. 45 feet up. Okay. We have a, a photo on our Instagram page where you can go, and we have a photo just looking up while you're okay. in the silo. Uh, so all those little details mm-hmm. to give people a very unique experience. Yeah. Well, there's, there's nothing wrong with detail. I'm a big fan of, um, of Walt Disney. And read a few of the books about him where talking about opening the first park in, in California. And the story that always amazed me was he would bring in his, he brought to his Imagineers, they're working on Main Street, and he brought in um, knee pads. And he's got the best cartoonists and, you know, creative people in the world at the time. And he told each one of them, put on knee pads. I want you to see this from the perspective of a child. And you're walking, Whoa. these guys had to walk down Main Street, walk down, crawl down Main Street and see what it would be like as a kid walking through. So the detail is is everything. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where connection. we are able to express not only our passion, but our, the artistic side that we're mm-hmm. trying to bring to Source Beer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some, when we go through some of these beers here, you'll see that I think the beer you're drinking now, mm-hmm. um, you know, this Belgian Blonde, you know, this is something that really demonstrates um, what flavor profile yeast can mm-hmm. give to beer. So there's there's not any adjuncts added to this beer. Um, you know, very well balanced, clean, but you're really able to taste the flavor profile that the yeast is providing to this beer. And a lot of times a Belgian yeast is overpowering, but it's not. It's it's there. You know you know it's there, but it's not you're not like chewing on it for a long time. Yeah, and it, it's easy to get carried away with Belgians because they're a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, introducing 
a lot of sugars are having improper fermentation temperatures can lead to some fusily higher alcohol flavors or some sort of off-putting uh, alcohol burns or, or medicinal flavors. But when you really hit on the level of phenols and esters that you want, um, it's nice. This is a good strain. It's a Belgian Ardennes strain. I'm a big fan of that one. Um, but yeah, this is a Belgian blonde. Um, not like an American blonde. The Belgian blondes are usually in the 7% range. So it's you can think of it a bit like a toned down triple, but it's also got its other nuances. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of a little bit more malt complexity. Um, but yeah, it, they're definitely it's dangerously drinkable. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if this was 5%, but... It's a little bit more up there, but going, you know, talking about what kind of beers we think we'll have, um, we want to have the whole spectrum of beers, um, for sure. And we definitely will always have a variety being on the small system. We have the flexibility to, um, keep always fresh rotating beer out there. Now you're going to be how many barrel? We're a 10 barrel system. Yeah. We've got a, um, steam powered, um, pretty semi-automated system coming in, um, top-notch brand new stuff i'm actually going out to meet with our suppliers next week um but we i would say if we had like our core pillars of what types of you know general categories of beer we're going to have definitely going to have some ipas we're always going to have a a variety of ipas um you know west coast new england double seasonal just rotating fun stuff that we want to play around with new hops um, we're definitely going to have some good stouts, some sessionable porters. If you have one here, we're definitely do some fun stuff on nitro, imperial stouts, adjunct stouts. Um, you know, we love all that stuff. Uh, we definitely want to have a lot of farmhouse and Belgian styles. So um, we're going to have a 20 barrel uh, American oak fooder in the brew house. Visible again in the tap room. Kind of feel like you're in there. Um, you kind of have to have a farmhouse. Yeah, right. We're, You're in a farmhouse. We're a farmhouse brewery. <laughs> yep. um, we're going to always have saisons available, seasonal saisons. You know, maybe we hit something that everybody loves and we we get one that we got to keep on just because, you know, people want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Belgians, you know, we like the triples, the blondes, the Trappist styles. There's some, like, Belgian beers have a special place in my heart. And, um... And then the other side of that spectrum, real clean German style and other lagers, American style lagers, whatever lager we want to make. Mm-hmm. We actually have two dedicated horizontal lagering tanks that we're going to stack up. I was just going to ask you what so, you're going to do um, for that. Yeah, yeah we, we're pretty much filling up our brew house and cellar, um, but the ability to have some horizontal lagering tanks we can ferment and then uh, get them into the tanks for some traditional uh, lagering periods, really clean them up. Make them super smooth and crisp, doing them the traditional German and, and Czech way, and hopefully coming up with our own spins on um, some nice American style ones, maybe some India pale lagers and other fun stuff. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned before we started recording that there's also a distillery. Yeah, so right uh, there. So, the, the farm, they subdivided it into lots. Um, and if you see right now, the distillery is on their construction. Okay. Uh, Colsnick, Still House, uh, owned by the name of Jeff Cox, great guy. Um, we've been partnering up with him and thinking a lot of things that we can do together. Um, one thing certainly we're going to do with him is he can only use his bourbon barrels once. I was going to say, what does he brew? He, he doesn't he make him. If yep. he gives us a little square footage in there, he can. Uh, yep. So, that's, we're, uh, we'll that's definitely nice thing about some, bourbon laws. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
We definitely have some Russian Imperial Stouts aging in some Colts Neck Stillhouse bourbon barrels. Releases and, and, uh, you know, we're experimenting with taking some coffee beans and taking the actual beans and bourbon barrels. And there's some fun things that some brewers are doing right now. Modern Times has kind of been, you know, pioneering that aspect uh, and that additional dimension, utilizing coffee beans and aging the actual coffee beans in the, the green barrels, beans, pre-roast. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so there's fun stuff there we want to play around with. Um, you know, also, uh, Craft Soda is a, another offering that we have. Um, we're going to be launching uh, right here in the next 30 days with Fruitables uh, in their Colts Neck in Princeton location. Um, they do these Aussie fruit bowls. They're pretty cool, very refreshing type of uh Treat, but they're going to start selling um, our craft soda. We developed a uh, berry um, berry blend, including some berry acai berry. So we got some, you know, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, um, acai uh, based soda. But you taste that in a little bit here, okay. using all organic cane sugar, all organic fruits. Whole fruits. Um, and they're going to they're going to start selling that in a couple locations. And for the distillery, we're going to do a ginger beer. Okay. Yeah. There's some Moscow mules. Um, he's obviously starting off with some gins, vodkas, rums. Um, the the bourbon will follow, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. So Phil mentioned this. We want this to be a place where you can bring your bring your kids, bring the whole family. So you know, might have your kid do a little soda flight. There you go. With some really <laughs> in, inventive uh, natural ingredients, get get a little bit more off the beaten path in cola and and sprites and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So. And the collaboration has been very strong. So um, the distillery is actually putting a pathway from the distillery to the brewery. And we have a pathway going from the connected. brewery to Delicious You spend the day just walking around in a circle. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if you're into beer and your wife wants, uh, you know, uh, she wants to Pick have... pumpkins or... Well, I guess they'll... There's the pumpkin picking with the whole family. It might get drawn out to be a whole day event yeah. now. But um, I, I, I envision a lot of... Fathers, husbands, wandering Take over time. <laughs> yeah. from from, uh, from the uh, apple orchard. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, we, we find that you know the the crafter demographic. You know, there's there's a pretty strong female it, it, constituent yeah, that's yeah. very well did, educated on yep, craft beer. Did not mean to say it was one sided, <laughs> but just having been in that scenario and wandering around a store for a long time, it's nice to have yeah. some place to wander to. Definitely, yes. definitely. I think it's gonna it's gonna be great for Monmouth County. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll certainly be a destination spot, and you know whether you wanna you wanna have bourbon or you wanna have a you know a cocktail or you wanna have a beer, you wanna have some some great food. You'll be able to do it all within one yeah. big campus area. There's I, a 14 acre lot across the street. If any wineries want to come in, then we can just have, the just have the whole yeah. gamut right there. So you're not open now. You're hoping to open. So we're hoping when? for fall. Okay. Um, you know we're. Knock on wood, we're making really great progress. So we already have our use variants where we have our federal TTB license. We've already um, granted UNAS approval with the architectural committee, the tech review committee, and um, we're gearing up now to go for our final uh, site approval. Um, and we're expecting that that will go very smoothly. The town had some recommendations on things to do. We, we agree with all the recommendations, so we incorporated them. Um, And then from there, um, we're looking to put shovels in the ground in June. Thank you, guys. You can't visit them just yet, but keep on checking in at sourcebrewing.com. Today, you're going to find more information about their plans, their story, and when it gets closer, when they're opening. You can check out the blog of Overbeers at overbeers.beer. 
please leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps, and I appreciate it. You can leave a comment at the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments about the show. Cheers at SantePhoto.com is the email address. You can also follow along on Instagram at SantePhoto. I'm Freddie Clark, and I'm going to go have a beer, but I'll be back next week with another conversation over beers.